So would you take the word of God and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 20. Exodus and uh, chapter 20. We have been studying through the book of Exodus and we have uh, spend, uh, spent some time, uh, much of the time in chapter 20 and looked at each one of the Ten Commandments, specifically considering not just the letter of the law or just the commandments in a superficial way, but to understand the spirit of the law and uh, what God intended with the law. When Jesus Christ in the New Testament comes on the scene, He preaches the Sermon on the Mount. I would refer to that as the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And he refers to back to the commandments, but he gives us the spirit of the commandments, not just the letter. He tells his disciples, "Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old, uh, Thou shalt, and he says, they were limiting the commandments to the letter, as long as they had not committed the act of murder, as long as they hadn't committed the act of adultery, then they were okay. And Jesus told them that, no, you're not okay. Uh, he give, gave them the, the true, a true understanding of the Ten Commandments. And I hope that we have a better understanding of the Ten Commandments now. And uh, what we're going to look at tonight is the natural response of man to the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel at that point, and what God is going to do with the response of man. You know, uh, Exodus chapter 20 stands as a, one of a great chapter in the Bible because of the Ten Commandments, but often the latter portion of that chapter is kind of just mentioned or skipped over, uh, but there's some wonderful truth for us to learn in the end of the chapter. So notice Exodus chapter 20 with me. We're going to begin reading in verse 18. Uh, this is after the conclusion of the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. And so we come to verse 18, and if it's not too much trouble, I would ask you if you please stand with me as we read the Word of God. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. In Exodus chapter eight, uh, 20, we'll begin reading in verse 18. The 10 commandments have been given. Verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, 
and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Now I'd like to bring your attention to verse 24, 25, and 26, and specifically focus on the mention of the altar. Verse 24 says, An altar of earth, notice, thou shalt make unto me. Verse 25, And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone. And then, in verse 26, Neither shalt thou go up by steps up unto mine altar. So I'd like to preach this evening on the altar of the Lord. The altar of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. We are grateful for the time that we spend on the Ten Commandments, understanding the spirit of the commandments, not just the letter of them, so that we might be fully aware of how desperate we need a Savior. And Lord, we are grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law in Himself and presented Himself as a sacrifice without spot, who took our sins in His own body that we might receive His righteousness. We are grateful for that great sacrifice. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, that as we leave this place this evening, that our desire would be that we might be near you, and that we might desire to draw nearer to you than we have been before. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to preach here on the altar of the Lord, and the reason why I entitle the message, The Altar of the Lord, is because verse 24 indicates that they are to make this altar unto the Lord. This is not an altar that they are the originators of. They didn't think about the concept of the altar. It was God that told them to make it unto Him. Uh, again, in verse 25, he talks about, uh, make me an altar of stone. And again, in verse 26, he calls it mine altar. Uh, man is to build the altar, but the altar itself belongs to God. Uh, as we look at this, uh, this chapter, right, the, the first part is uh, an emphasis on God speaking with man. Here is what God has to say. In the middle of this chapter, we find that God, when He hears, well, man, when He hears God speaks, He moves away from the mountain, and because He is in fear, He doesn't want God to speak. He, he wants a mediator. And so, with that uh, being His mindset, God then said, well, let me make a way 
so that you can come to me. The Ten Commandments is God speaking to man. The altar is God uh, telling man how he can come to God. Man knowing that he cannot touch Mount Sinai. And so God ordains the altar. Now this is specifically in this chapter because we don't have the tabernacle yet. The tabernacle is to be instituted in the subsequent chapters in the book of Exodus. But up to this point there, we think about the altar and the uh, function of the altar, the brazen altar with regards to the tabernacle and what God instituted. And when we read about that, we know that it was God that instituted the tabernacle. It was God that gave all the details to Moses to relay that to the children of Israel so that they would build it exactly the way God said to build it. And it's very important for us to think as we think about the idea here of religion and God speaking to man and man speaking to God, that uh, religion, uh, as we think about our religion, is not the construct of man. We did not come up with it. It was what God instructed. And there's a difference. A man-made religion is man says, we have created a way whereby we may have access to God. And that's not the Bible way. God says, I'm going to provide a way so that you can have access to me. And so God here not only gives the Ten Commandments, He emphasizes His righteousness, but at the end of the chapter, He institutes the altar, the altar of the Lord. I'm going to break down the study of the remainder of this chapter into three parts. We're going to see, first of all, after the Ten Commandments are given, we see, first of all, the recognition of the people at Sinai. Uh, after the Ten Commandments are, are given, verse 18 through 21 gives us the immediate response, the reaction of Mount Sinai, or of the scene, the thunderings and the lightnings and the blackness, and God had given the Ten Commandments to Moses. And by the way, those... Ten Commandments are going to be expanded in the next chapters, and uh, we're going to see look at those details. But the natural response of man is they recognize a number of things. And as we look at our text, verse 18 through 20, the first thing that they recognize is that they were unable to approach God as they were. That's the, uh, what they recognize after the Ten Commandments. Notice verse 18 and 19. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings. And the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. Verse 19, And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people, notice, stood afar off after Moses gives them that information. They stood afar off, but Moses draws near unto the thick darkness, notice, where God was. So now that the Ten Commandments have been given, the natural reaction of the people is that they recognize that they are unable to approach God as they are. God had told them, right, to come at the foot of the mountain because He wanted to speak to them. And as soon as they see all that is happening in Mount Sinai, they decide to back off. There is a sense that uh, as the Ten Commandments are given, that the holiness of God is made manifest. And I think that there is a degree here that their mindset was not, as they had said in chapter 19, 
all that God had said we will do, now there's a little trepidation on their part as to what God has said. There's a sense in which they see themselves as incapable of fulfilling the demands of the law and because of that as being unable to approach God as they are. And by the way, that's the truth for all mankind. There is no man who ever comes to God as he is. We are entirely unworthy. We cannot, of our own selves, approach God based on who we are and what we've done. We are completely inadequate. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that God is of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Psalm chapter 5 verse 4 says, For thou art not a God that hast pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall stand in his sight. Uh, the foolish shall not stand in his sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. And so the Bible says that anybody who commits iniquity cannot stand in the sight of God. The Ten Commandments are given. And the people immediately recognized first that they were unable to approach God as they were. But there's a second thing that they recognized in our text, and that is this. They recognized that they needed a mediator between them and God. Do you notice what they say in verse 19? And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Uh, here is the concept of a mediator. Uh, Moses, by the way, later in Deuteronomy, there is a prophecy that God is going to raise up a prophet like unto Moses in similar fashion as Moses. And we know that Moses, in the sense, would be in the book of Exodus, the mediator between God and man. And the people, as they come to the mountain, and now that the Ten Commandments have been given, Moses comes to them, and they see and they witness what's going on on the mountain, and they come to the realization that they are unable to approach God as they are, and so therefore the natural desire of them is that they need a mediator that will mediate between them and God. And that's the two natural recognition, uh, realizations from the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. When any person hears the law or thinks about the holiness of God and the standard of God, there are two natural and correct responses to that. And that is this. We are unable, unable to come to God and we need a mediator. God wants to speak with man. He's spoken from the mountain. But man cannot come to God. So we see the recognition of the people at Sinai, but then we see, secondly... And I'm going to step away here from the text based on uh, what we determine here from those first truths and think about the Bible as a whole and what the Bible has to say with the entrance of the law. Well, what, what serves the purpose of the law when it's given here at Mount Sinai? And I would like to look at the reasons for God's dealing with His people at Sinai. Why is God wanting to speak to them? Why did God give the children of Israel the law? Were they ignorant of what was right and what was wrong? No, they were not ignorant of those things. But God specifically gives them the Ten Commandments that they might recognize a number of things. The first thing He, needed, he wants them to recognize is this, that they might see their sinfulness. 
That's why he gave the children of Israel the law, that they might see their sinfulness. By the way, Paul makes that very clear in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. When he wrote this, he says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. So Paul himself recognizes, as we think about back in the entrance of the law at Mount Sinai, that God gave the law to the children of Israel so that all of their mouths might be stopped, so that they might become guilty before God, so that no man could say after he hears the Ten Commandments and the standard of God's holiness, no man could say, oh, I can do this. No man could say that. If any man could say that, he, it probably is because he didn't understand the spirit of the commandments. Just the superficial letter of the law. Romans 7 verse 12 tells us, Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good, was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. You see, man already had, the children of Israel already had a concept of their sinfulness. They already had a concept of uh, their uh, failure in the sight of God. And so when the law entered, it's not that they had no idea about sin. It is that it was not exceeding sinful to them. But the commandment entered so that sin might become exceeding sinful. And so one of the reasons why God dealt with His people at Mount Sinai was that they might see their sinfulness. There's a second reason why God dealt with His people at Mount Sinai, and that is that they might see their inability to fulfill the law. Uh, in Romans chapter 7, verse 10, Paul, as he's writing to the church at Rome, he says, And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. Uh, he, he speaks in his capacity and his, and his understanding as a Pharisee before he came to saving faith in Christ. That, that he had the idea that the commandment which he thought is where salvation was found, acceptance with God was found, he recognized that no, only death was found in the commandments. That the commandments only condemned me for who I was as a sinner. And back in, uh, even in Romans chapter 8 verse 3, he says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. The law, when the Ten Commandments was given, God did not intend for the law itself to bring men up to God. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. And what he says is we were unable to fulfill the demands of the law. We were not capable. There was not enough. Uh, there is not that holiness, that righteousness that is a part of us that uh, enables us to fulfill the demands of the law. And so God gave the law that they might see their sinfulness. He gave the law that they might see their inability to fulfill the law. And by the way, we know that their idea was not, oh, wow, I hear the Ten Commandments. I'm good. I'm in good standing with God. Oh, I can do that. That is not their reaction at all. That's their desire and their intent in chapter 19. All that God says, we will do. 
But then when the law comes in, it says, we, no, we can't do this. There's a third reason why God dealt with the children of Israel at Sinai in this way, and that is this, that they might see their need for a Savior. By the way, that's uh, the natural response. They step away from God. They recognize that they can't come to God as they are. And therefore, the urge from them is we need somebody between us and God. We need a mediator. By the way, the Bible makes that very clear in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, the, Paul asks the question to the believers of Galatia. And he says, wherefore then service the law? To what purpose was the law given? He says, and it was added because of transgressors, uh, because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels at in the hand, in the hand of a mediator. Galatians 3.22 says, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came and were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed, wherefore the law, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So, why did God deal with His people at Mount Sinai in this way? He dealt with them so that they might see their exceeding sinfulness. He dealt with them in this way so that they might see their inability to fulfill the law. And He dealt with them in this way to show them that they needed a Savior. Now we're going to see that is actually what Moses says in the book of Deuteronomy as he references back Exodus chapter 20. So we see, first of all, the recognition of the people at Sinai, the reasons for God's dealing with His people at Sinai. But thirdly, we see the provision of the Lord for the people at Sinai. The provision of the Lord for the people at Sinai. See, the Ten Commandments were never intended to be a means of salvation. They could not be saved, redeemed, thought worthy because of their obedience to the commandments. And so God, as He sees their natural response, their natural response is, we can't come to God, we need a mediator. God is going to make a provision for them when they recognize that they cannot come to God as they are. And he provides an altar. If you notice with me in our text in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 22. And the Lord said unto Moses. Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel. Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. So he rehearses. That's what the Ten Commandments were. God from heaven spoke uh, to the children of Israel. Verse 23, ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me. So in this chapter, in the first part, we see God dealing with Israel by first revealing His righteousness in the Ten Commandments. By revealing His holiness in the Ten Commandments. However, we also see God dealing with the children of Israel by revealing... His mercy towards them 
by providing an altar. And it's important here to note that the idea of the altar in our text is not the concept that man thought about when he recognized that he was unable to come to God as he is and that he needed a meter and then poof, he thought about an altar. No, no, no. It was God that came to the people who recognized that they had no access to God, that they were unworthy, that they were guilty, that they needed, in a sense, a mediator, and there was no way for them to come to God. God makes provision for man to come to Him. I want you to notice several things. First of all, as I mentioned, God initiated this provision. Uh, Verse 22 says it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. And here's the wonderful thing about God, and it's really beyond our understanding that a holy God looks at sinful man, and he speaks to man from heaven, and God wants that to be reciprocated. He wants man to come to him. But God is holy and man is sinful. How can that be done? God cannot abide sin. God is of pure eyes and to behold iniquity. He cannot accept the sinner as he is, although he desires to be in communion and in fellowship with him. And so God says, I've spoken to you. I am initiating something with man. You see, man is a rebel at heart. Man is not the one who pursues God. God is the one who pursues man. All have gone astray. Every man has turned, every one to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. God initiated the provision. We also see that man is the responder of what God initiates. Notice what God says to them in verse 23. He says, Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. Now notice here, God says, I've been trying to speak to you. And here's what he says. I'm going to give you a warning. When you try to respond to me, here's what you're not going to do. You're not going to erect any statues of me. Right? Now, by the way, we saw that in the the second commandment in verse 4. Remember what he said to the children of Israel? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So he had already told them no graven images. And by the way, that's not just the concept of uh, worshiping and having a graven of another God. It's no graven images whatsoever that man is not to bring God down and to fashion God like gold and silver and what man can see. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we don't have relics. We don't have a crucifix with Jesus on the cross and pray to that crucifix. We don't do those things. Why? Because we are not to fashion any graven images or any representation of a holy God. And he tells them, now here's what you're going to do. I'm going to initiate something that whereby you can have access to me. But before we do any of this, I want you to know what it's not going to be. It's not going to be with what you're familiar with in Egypt. 
Now, what are they familiar with? Well, we know what they're familiar with because we see it in a few chapters when they fashion a golden calf. That's what they were familiar with in Egypt. That's what they knew. That's what many of them, they had been there for 400 years, that's what many of them grew up knowing. Seeing the temples of all the Egyptians' gods first throughout all the entirety of the land. They were familiar with pagan worship. And God says, you're not going to do it like they have done it. That's not how you're going to come to me. By the way, that's how pagan people operate. That's how they approach their gods. They make some figurine. They protect that figurine. They bring food to that figurine. They bow down before that figure, that carving, that statue. And God says, you're not going to come to me with er any earthly representation. They had just witnessed what God had done in Mount Sinai. How can you capture what happened in Mount Sinai in a statue? You can't. No man had seen God. God made sure that even Moses didn't see him. So God is not to be brought down. Man is not to make a concept of God in his own mind, with his own artistry. God cannot be contained. Solomon knew that. Remember when he built that wonderful, beautiful temple? In his prayer of dedication, he says, God does not, is not limited, does not dwell in this tabernacle. He inhabits the heaven of heavens. And even the heaven of heavens are not great enough to contain God. And so he says, you're, if you're going to approach God, you're not going to do it that way. So how are you going to do it? So God initiated the provision. Man is to respond, but in his response, God says, don't do this in your response. So what is man to do? He is to build an altar unto the Lord. Notice verse 24 through 26. God is the provider. Notice verse 24. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me. I want to lay out the contrast with verse 23. Don't make gods of silver. Don't make gods of gold. Uh, precious metals at that time. By the way, we find them a few chapters later bringing the silver and the gold for the golden calf. Right? They're precious substance. And here God says, I want you to know that's what I don't want you to do. But what I do want you to do, I want you to make an altar of earth. Earth? What do you mean? You don't want us to construct something for you with gold and silver, with precious stone? You, you don't want us to uh, make something for you, God, that we may come to you uh, that may seem that in and of itself is a glorious thing? And God says, not at all. The, quite the opposite is to be true. The altar was the way for the children of Israel to come to God. God had spoken to them from Mount Sinai. And if they wanted to come to God, they had to do so at the altar. And the altar is the place where sacrifices are made. An altar was a place where the blood of the sacrifice was shed and where the fire would consume the sacrifice. So when we think about an altar, we have to think that with the altar comes a sacrifice. To come to God, they first have to build an altar. No gold, no silver, nothing precious. 
just the cheapest material can find dirt for God dirt for God yes I want to just end the message by giving asking the question what do we learn about the altar what do we learn about this altar this is God's provision this is the way that man can come to God. This altar is to stand at the foot of Mount Sinai. God has been speaking to man. Man recognizes he can come to God. God provided a way, and he does so by an altar, ultimately by a sacrifice upon the altar. We'll see that later in chapter 24. I don't want to preach there because I'm going to get there. Uh, but let me give you here some truths about the altar. First of all, the altar was to be simple and plain. The altar was to be simple and plain. And, and I would like to put it this way. The altar was not to be distracting. You say, well, distracting from what? Well, notice with me verse 24. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon, What's the thereon referring back? What's thereon referring to? The altar. Thy burnt offerings and thy peace offering on the altar, thy sheep and thine oxen, in all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. And so here we think about the concept of an altar. This is not something that just limited to the children of Israel. Uh, pagan nations had altars. They would erect some a beautiful altar and they would offer sacrifices on those altars. But God says, the altars that I command you to make is not going to be like that of pagan nations. I'm commanding you to build an altar of earth. Why? Because the altar of earth is to be simple and plain. It is not to be distracting. It is not to draw man's attention. Well, what is to draw man's attention? The altar itself should not distract from the sacrifice. Build it of earth so that when you look and you come to the altar, you don't stand impressed by the altar. You don't recognize that God, uh, you can come to God because you have some sort of merit, because God sees the beauty of the altar. No, God looks on a sacrifice, and through a sacrifice, you can come to God. The altar is just that which upon the sacrifice stands. The altar is the place where the blood of the sacrifice is shed. The altar is just the place upon which the sacrifice is burned. It's the place where the sweet savor comes up to God. The altar is just there to hold up what is important. What is important is the sacrifice. So the altar, notice, is to be simple and plain, not distracting. The altar itself should not be, uh, not distract from the sacrifice. Now, that's what he communicates in verse 24. And the truth is, when we think today about religion, there's a great effort today at making religion uh, a beautiful, to somehow beautify religion, to somehow impress people by our religious rituals and our uh, religious acts, our religious ceremonies, and people become impressed by all the rituals and maybe the incense and, and the singing and all those peripheral things and there's very little attention that is given to the sacrifice. There's a second thing we learn about the altar and that is 
the altar was to remain unaltered. Or as the Bible says in verse 25, unpolluted. Notice verse 25, And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Now, the idea here of hewn stone means carved. It's, it's a carving. And so uh, what they would do at that time, by the way, the children of Israel would be familiar because that was done in Egypt. When altars were built and sacrifices were offered to the gods of the Egyptians, they were beautiful altars. There'd be beautiful carvings and diamonds and gold and silver. The most precious things were used. The, their gods dwelt in the most magnificent temples in Egypt. And it was quite a sight to see. And he says that the children of Israel are not going to do that. If you're going to use earth material in the sense of stone, you're going to leave the stone unpolluted. You're not going to put carvings on the stone. You're not going to chisel them in any way. You're not going to look to refine them in any way. You're going to have an unpolluted altar. The altar should not be beautified by man's handiwork and skill. Now, why is that important? Because think about it. Mount Sinai, man has recognized that he cannot come to God. And God says, no, here's a way for you to come to me. But when you come to me, I want you to recognize fully that you're not going to come to me because of your skill. You're not going to come to me because of your wisdom. You're not going to come to me because of your artistry. You have no worth in you and yourself. You're not worthy to come to me. And so you're not going to employ anything in yourself that you think that that's the reason why you can have access to God. It is absolutely forbidden. So the altar was to be simple and plain, not distracting from the sacrifice. The altar was to remain unaltered, unpolluted. Uh, no man was to use to try to beautify the altar again. The emphasis is not on the altar itself. It's on the sacrifice upon the altar. But there's a third thing we learn about the altar, and that is this. The altar served to uphold the sacrifice. It did not serve as a ladder to uphold man's own effort of righteousness. Let me say that again. The altar served to uphold the sacrifice. It did not serve as a ladder to uphold man's own effort at righteousness. Do you notice what he says in verse 26? Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Now this is a really a powerful part because we think... What is he talking about? Don't go up onto the altar. He basically says here, notice, don't go up by steps. Don't build steps on the altar. It's going to be of earth. It's going to be simple. No carvings. Don't try to beautify the altar. And also, don't make a way for you to climb up to the altar so that you can stand on top of the altar and attempt at self-righteousness and think that just because you come to the top of the altar, that now because you're at the top, God accepts you. If you do this, he says, shame on you. God knows better than that. God sees you as you are. There's no amount of ritual or ceremony at the altar that gives you the ability to come on top of the altar and to stand at the top. Because if you do so, you will be revealed for who you are. 
Turn back with me to the book of Genesis in chapter 3. You remember in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve sinned against God. The Bible tells us early on in verse 7 that their eyes were opened. They knew that they were naked and the Bible says they sewed fig leaves and made themselves aprons. They were ashamed. They were ashamed. That's what the Bible says. Verse 8 tells us, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I want us to think here as they sin against God, they are exposed. They see themselves for who they are. The book of Hebrews says that we have to be very careful of thinking of any concept of self-righteousness because all things are open and naked in the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. That we, we can't hide anything from God. And here they sew themselves uh, uh, aprons of fig leaves, and, but then they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. Notice what the fig leaves didn't do for them. It didn't cause them to not be ashamed anymore. You see, the sewing the aprons of fig with fig leaves was their attempt as covering themselves, as hiding the shame, hiding the sin, but yet when they hear God come walking in the garden, they're still hiding, they're still ashamed. There's nothing that the aprons that did that would take away the shame that they had. They were hiding from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. As we proceed in the text, we find that God confronts them as they say that they're ashamed. God says, well, who told you? You see, God saw right through. They tried to hide their sinfulness and their filth. And the truth is, in the garden, even at their attempt, they, they could not hide their sinfulness before God. And so when we go back to Exodus chapter 21, uh, 20, uh, 20, verse 26, Neither shalt thou go up uh, uh, the steps upon to mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. And what he's simply saying here is, you're, if you do that, you're going to find that God knows you for who you are. You may have an attempt at self-righteousness, but you're going to find yourself completely and wholly inadequate of coming into the presence of God. We see that later when the tabernacle is instituted. No man can come into the Holy of Holies. Not allowed. Have no access to God. Why? Because you're sinful. Remember, the book of Hebrews tells us that the priest, high priest would go once a year and offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. But then he would leave still with the guilty conscience. In other words, he knew even when he left the Holy of Holies that he was not pure and he was not at peace with God by that ritual itself. His conscience was not at peace with God. And so Moses reminds the children of Israel, wants them to understand these truths about this altar. The altar is to be simple and plain, not distracting from the sacrifice. It is to remain unaltered, unpolluted, and the altar is to serve to uphold the sacrifice 
the altar itself is not to be the ladder upon which man's own effort brings access to God. I think that's a good representation of how we have an understanding of how we come to God. We come to God not based upon a ritual and an altar and some religious ceremony. We come to God because a sacrifice has stood in our place. That's why we come to God. We can beautify our religion all we want. We can make it look good on the outside. We can try to construct something that gives some idea that we know God and then we can come to God and we somehow climb uh, the stairs of religion as maybe some Roman Catholic believe that they, you have to uh, fulfill the, the uh, sacraments or the Muslims, the seven pillars of the faith and you have to follow those things and no matter how, beautify, uh, how, how much you beautify your religion, it does not bring access to God. There's only one thing that deals with sin. And that is the sacrifice. The innocent sacrifice of the Lamb. Now those Old Testament sacrifices, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ does take away sin. In reference to this event, I want you to go with me to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 5. Moses is speaking to the next generations, and he refers back to this moment in Mount Sinai when God spoke to the people, and the people responded to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, notice with me in um, verse 22. Now, by the way, verse 16 through 21, if you notice here, he recounts the commandments. He said in verse 16, Honor thy father and thy mother. Verse 17, Thou shalt not kill. Verse 18, Neither shalt thou commit adultery. Verse 19, Neither shalt thou steal. Verse 20, Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Verse 21, uh, Don't covet, don't desire thy neighbor's wife, and so on. Verse 22, These words the Lord spake unto, uh, unto all your assembly in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud, and of the thick darkness, with a great voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and deliver them unto me. So that's what had happened. Go down to verse 27. Notice what he says. Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say and speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee and we will hear it and do it. Remember that, that was the response. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. A few pages over. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And uh, let's come to verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. And the Word of God says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee. Of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Notice, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly. Now remember, what is it that they desired? You remember when God gave the commandments... They couldn't come to God. They said, we're unable to come. We need a mediator. And so God says, well, you have to build an altar. And what was that all about? Well, that's the way that you can have access to God. Man was trying to find a way, although he was unable, unworthy, to find a way to have access to God. But he couldn't find that way. And so that's what they desired in Horeb, in the day of the assembly. That's Mount Sinai, verse 16, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. That's what they had said. Verse 17, And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. Verse 18, 
I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, unto thee Moses. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And notice here, he tells the children of Israel many years later, referring back to Mount Sinai. You remember Mount Sinai when God was trying to, to talk to you, and you said, we don't want God to speak to us. We need a mediator. And immediately Moses says, God is going to raise up a prophet, just like Moses, among your own people. He will be your mediator. He will be the one that will give you access to God. And the New Testament makes that very clear. That when the fullness of time was come, God was uh, Jesus was made of a woman. He was manifest in the flesh. He became a man without ceasing to be God. The Bible says that, who being in the form of God, thought he not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ, you remember the words he chose very carefully? And he announced that there was some, coming somebody after him whose shoes he was not worthy to loose. And when Jesus Christ comes, he uses his word carefully when he says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This would be in the mind of the children of Israel as he's preaching to them, repent, the Messiah's coming. They would go back to the Old Testament to what time? Maybe to Mount Sinai when God spoke to the people and the people recognized that they couldn't come to God that they needed a mediator and God then says you want a mediator you're going to build me an altar and it's not about the altar it's going to be of earth it's not going to be about uh, the beautifying the altar it's not going to be about the altar itself you're not going to climb on top of the altar because you're unworthy but it's about the sacrifice on the altar and God says I'm going to raise you a prophet like unto Moses and that's Jesus Christ the law is given in Exodus chapter 20, and immediately when the law is given, man says, we can't come to God. And immediately after that, God says, I'll make a way. And that way is Jesus Christ. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other way to heaven. There is no other person in whom redemption is found. There is no religion, no ritual. There is nothing at all in this world apart from Jesus Christ who brings salvation. Now if you're saved, you know that. But today, upon what basis do you think God accepts you? Your goodness? Your righteousness? No. Still in Christ. If we have begun in the Spirit, shall we be made perfect by the flesh? Galatians says no. You see, if we're not careful, sometimes we, we forget that actually it's not about the altar. It's not about the altar. It's not how, about how we beautify our religion. It's about Jesus Christ. Not only is our salvation found in Jesus Christ, 
but our life is Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I'll now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's talking about the life that he's living at that moment. May we always remember that that was the altar of the Lord and that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is what God has provided for us. We did not come up with this system. God instituted it and it is the only way for man to be accepted. There's no other way. You see, in the book of Exodus, remember that in chapter 19, the theme of the book, he had reminded them in verse 40, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, Exodus 19.4, and brought you unto myself. That's what this is all about. But did you notice here, before he ever made a provision with the altar... He made them recognize that there was no way for them to come to God but through Christ. There's a um, a new philosophy of Christianity that's emerged in probably the last few decades. Where the brand of Christianity that says, you come to God as you are. You see that on banners of churches. Come to God as you are. That is a false concept. We don't come to God as we are. We cannot come to God as we are. We come to God through Christ. We are not accepted. Uh, Sometimes if we're not careful, we may think that, oh, I'm saved. That means that God has forgotten my sins. They're forgiven and they're Uh, We might say, well, they're gone. God, in the sense, we might think, has overlooked our sin. And then it says, well, come as you are. God has overlooked your sin. Oh, no, not at all. God has not overlooked any of our sins. Our sins have been paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we don't come to God because we are acceptable. Or because God somehow has forgotten our sin. No, we come to God. Because in Christ, our sins have been judged. The wrath of God was poured upon the sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And our sin was punished in the person of Christ. God does not accept us as we are. He only accepts us in Jesus Christ. And what he's telling the children of Israel here is, I cannot accept you as you are. You can only come to me through a sacrifice. Now obviously here he's pointing them to Christ. We know this because Hebrews tells us very clearly that none of these 
sacrifices could take away sin. They were simply there to point them to Christ to show that Jesus Christ himself would be sufficient. And that's why when Jesus Christ down on the cross, among the words that he said, one of those words was, it is finished. Two things. We might say that our sins have been punished in Christ. But something else has happened. God is satisfied. And because God is satisfied that our sin has been judged, we can now come into the presence of God. Not because we're good, not because we're worthy, not because we deserve it, because of the worthiness of Jesus Christ. This type of message should do this in the church. It should destroy the very presence of pride in any of us. should be completely gone and absent from the church. There's no ideas of, well, I'm better than this person and better than this person. Oh, no. We're all the same, completely unworthy to come to God. But we're not for the blood of Jesus Christ.